Welcome to the Meta Podcast. This is the Implement for Life series where we focus on the question, is your country following EU environmental laws? In this series of podcasts, we're looking into NGOs' actions that work to ensure better implementation of those laws, protect the environment and our health. The European Union is the world leader when it comes to protecting the environment. However, there are a lot of cases around Europe where bad implementation of EU laws at national level endanger our environment and our health. Today we welcome Justin Robox Sundergaard, who represents the NGO Geodea in Portugal. We also welcome Sergi Moroz, EB Policy Officer um, for Biodiversity and Water. Thank you for joining us, uh, Justin and Sergey. We're very happy to welcome you for this first edition of the Meta Podcast. And uh, we're going to talk together about eucalyptus plantation in the south of Portugal. So, Justin, you're working uh, with the NGO in charge of the project uh, to protect the area. Could you tell us a bit more about the project? Okay, the project started uh, around about uh, 2015 when a small group of us went down to the va- uh, this area, the valley, which is the Seixa River Basin in southwestern Portugal. Um, it was first uh, 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 the idea of protecting a species, uh, a tree called uh, the Monchique oak, or in Portuguese, Carvalho de Monchique, uh, the Quercus canariensis. And um, after the initial visit, we realized that the, there was an issue with uh, management and governance of the area itself. Um, one of the, the big issues was that a lot of the area, um, we've established uh, between 30 and 40% of the area, is uh, under eucalyptus plantation, which is historical. Um, but 90% of the area is under Natura 2000, so there seems to be a discordance here, and this is what the project is trying to identify and to work towards um, methodologies, approaches that are using the stakeholders, the people who are involved in the basin management, that is your regional authorities, uh, the agencies, the Institute for Conservation of Nature and Forestry, the Agency for Environment, including the municipalities, there are three municipalities there, Odemira, Algezur and Monchik, they're all partners in the project, mm-hmm. and uh, to get the stakeholders, the actual landowners, to be involved as well, to identify how we can develop an integrated management plan based on land stewardship uh, principles, uh, which they call uh, Gestao Ambiental Partilhada in Portuguese, and uh, from this perspective to see how we can restore or recover some of the uh, habitats that are registered there um, and also get some cooperation from some of the big guys like the the eucalyptus plantation people to see whether there isn't a better methodology that we can use uh, towards more sustainable environmental practices than the the cut and clear uh, um, methodology that they use for plantations at the moment. And uh, just maybe you can uh, explain to us what why is eucalyptus uh, such uh, such a problem in a way? What are the particular challenges? Why eucalyptus is not compatible with Natura 2000? One of the difficulties is is Natura 2000's objective is biodiversity, and uh, quite simply, <laughs> eucalyptus plantations don't uh, present any biodiversity. They're very simplified. Uh, um, almost industrialized systems for for forestry. 
Um, eucalyptus itself isn't the problem. It's the methodology of, of the plantations. It's the manner in which these plantations are put into place. They can be done very sustainably, and they can be done under a proper sustainable uh, forest management principle rather than uh, looking at uh, uh, utilising all the land for a productive process. Uh, and, and I'm talking about right through water lines and everything. And there can be a methodology where I feel, and it has been proven in, in examples, and I can refer to my home country of South Africa, where even smaller coops, smaller stands of eucalyptus that are properly managed are far more productive than, than a, a, a huge area. Um, not only because uh, you, you maintain your, your ecosystem processes, your nutrient recycling, your energy processes, or your energy recycling, as well as water recycling. Yep. All of these are fundamental to uh, the, the agriculture. So you, you create an almost an, uh, an agriculture and an ecology relationship. And, and that then provides you with the product. The product is the eucalyptus, the wood, ultimately. But it also doesn't destroy nature. So you're not removing the ecosystems to be able to provide just one simple product. The big difficulty that we have is... Eucalyptus as a plantation is a single product mm -hmm. if there is a disaster, um, such or a shock as we call it in, in, in the sustainability field, such as fire. Yeah. Your whole product is gone. You know, and there's nothing to fall back on. So there's no diversity in, in the use of the land either. So the question is not just ecological resilience. In other words, are we pushing ecosystems beyond their thresholds? But the question also is, is there social resilience in this kind of practice? So, wait a second. We're talking about a natural tooth and unprotected area, and also an area that is supposed to be protected by the Bird and Habitat Directive. So, how come that we have such projects that are damaging the nature there? Cool. Okay, uh, probably from the 50s through to the 60s with the, the uh, uh, areas of low agricultural output And because Portugal is a country that has come out of poverty very, very fast uh, into the European Union, uh, a lot of people turn to product, to a, a simple product. And the, the, the pulp and paper industry was, was available for them. And so the, the concept was if we can convert our land to a product or a production, um, then at least we have done something with our land. And that's where it started. So it's be before... Uh, post Natura 2000. The difficulty comes in after that is because although the regulation, the directives were transposed, the implementation of the actual regulations has been very, very slow in Portugal. And that is one of the reasons why they are in the, in the European Court of Justice at the moment. And we want to see how we can help Portugal Uh, in the in the management processes and the management practices, which is through stakeholder engagement, to counter this this difficulty that they have, which is creating management plans, identifying areas specifically. Uh, there's some areas that need pre uh, pres preservation over protection. Preservation, as in, you don't go there uh, because we have some very rare species and endemic species that only exist in this, this small area. It's an area of high biodiversity, and it is recognized as one of the remnants of the Mediterranean uh, woodlands. 
So there is high value in terms of, of cultural patrimony as well as natural patrimony for this area. And it has great potential beyond just plantations because it is part of a, or almost connected to a tourism route, which is very well known um, throughout the, 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 the area. And, uh, and Costa Vicentina and the Algarve are all famous for people who want to hike and, and, and enjoy nature. So we want to add this little valley that is kind of left on the, on the outside of this whole process and bring them into the game, as it were. Um, but through a proper managed process with the stakeholders so that we don't create... We create complementarities and supplementarities. In other words, we enhance, enhance and we support rather than trying to go into conflict right. and to avoid that as much as possible. But So if the values are known and if uh, some of the solutions exist in a way and there is, there is such a big demand for tourism or for sustainable uh, management or stewardship of that area, what are the main barriers that the fact that the management plan hasn't been developed yet, what stopped it from being developed and put in place so far, which is it is a clear requirement under the legislation. It's something that the authorities need to do. But I know that Portugal is not the only place where this is not happening. It's we really see this happening in a lot of uh, Natura 2000 sites where designation has happened. However, when it comes to sustainable management, that's where the progress still needs to be made. So I would be very interested to learn what you think the main reasons are in this particular case in Portugal uh, for the current state of play. Well, I've only lived in Portugal for seven years um, and uh, my, my personal impression is political will. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of other uh, interest groups that are involved in all of this process and, and, and that blocks uh, a lot of the, the implementation of, of many environmental regulations. Also an intense focus on economic growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget that Portugal in 20-30 years ago was a poor country. Now we are part of the European Union and we want to play the game. And so the game is played through a, a simple metric called economic growth or gross domestic product. And so this is the measurement of where, where Portugal fits within the European Union. The difficulty is how do you broaden that beyond just one metric? How do you bring all the others into play? And this is where Portugal is struggling a little bit um, because it, it requires... A, a change in planning, it requires a bit of a paradigm shift and uh, I think we're getting there slowly but surely the, the process is moving towards this because one of the, one of the, the, the um, driving forces for this is the big fires that happen mm-hmm. regularly and the, the last fire uh, that took place actually burnt much of the, the Seisha River Basin itself and uh, I witnessed the aftermath of the fire. It came right into the urban areas. It's, it's, it's terrifying. And it's and not only terrifying, it's very, very dangerous. You know, Fortunately, this time, uh, although there were injuries, we didn't lose lives. But the 2017 was an absolute tragedy. And uh, Portugal cannot afford to, to have these events. And these events are sparked by, by certain uh, uh, land practices, and those land practices need to be uh, looked at. So in other words, we've got to look at the cause rather than the symptoms. 
At the moment, we tend to be focusing much on the symptoms. So uh, we've got a cut, so let's put a Band-Aid on it. And we're not understanding why we, we've, we've got the cut, and we don't understand the, the implications of not focusing on the causes. So this is Project Telesatia is to try and understand the underpinning uh, driving forces, what are the pr- proximate causes, all of this. So it's a, it's a very complex project. And the aim is to provide the local authorities with an integrated management plan that is both adaptive and that has far-reaching consequences. In other words, we're not looking at the short term, we're looking at the long term. Because one of the other aspects that we have to bring into this are two wicked problems, land degradation and climate change. And these are problems that are progressive, they're interrelated, and you cannot deal with them through solutions and you cannot deal with them through through a, a, a symptomatic approach. These are systemic issues that have to be addressed. And so the project wants to provide a platform Mm -hmm. for addressing these that we can then replicate or transfer to other Natura 2000 areas using the concept of local uh, uh, um, approaches for local conditions. So you don't have a a, a blueprint solution for everything, but you have a framework that allows people then to adapt to their local solutions. And uh, this is what I'm busy doing through um, a, a PhD in, in, in Nova University, is to try and understand what, how do we develop this framework within the cultural, the sociopolitical, and the economic issues that uh, Portugal has. Right. And isn't there a risk that you as an NGO that is really focusing on bringing different stakeholders together and developing this integrated plan that you are almost performing a function that should be done by the, by the public authorities in a way? There is always a risk. The benefit that we've got is the public authorities are 100% behind us. They're saying, help us. We need this. We need to understand where we're going to go. Because there is, there is unfortunately, a boundary limit to what public authorities can do. Um, not only are there budgetary constraints, but there are also constraints in terms of, of who, who they can bring in. You know, to, to bring people in who are beyond just being a, a technician... Um, who is actually a scientist, most public authorities can't afford those kind of things. And what happens is, is in many instances, the responsibility for these issues are passed on. They're, they're tendered out to a, a company and they produce a report. That report is 200 pages, 250 pages. Nobody reads that report. So we need to engage directly with the, with the, the stakeholders, specifically the municipalities, which we do through workshops, we give them uh, what we've found, what we've discovered, and they then tell us what we're actually looking at. So we give them the science, the evidence, the baseline data, and they say, okay, that is correct. This is where it comes from. This is how we think we can get around it. And so they start to, to become part of the, the, the process to develop solutions. And I'm not saying that solutions are the, are the process that we want to follow. I'm more an approaches person. <clears throat> so I prefer to have a lot of approaches, a basket of approaches that all combine and all uh, complement and support each other in, 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 the, in the methodologies towards achieving what is needed to achieve <clears throat> over the long term. So this is not a short-term vision. This is aiming to provide a framework where it can be then used by local authorities across sectoral process that then allows everybody to be part of that process. Mm-hmm. And the, the concept 
of time is important because we have to look at time and scale. So time, we need to understand that it's taken a long time for us to get to this point. We can't expect to fix it uh, by putting a band-aid over it. It's going to take us a long time to fix it. But at least the paradigm is starting to shift. At least we're creating a literacy that says maybe we're doing things wrong. Maybe there is another way of doing things. And so we take people out of this locked-in process and the path dependency that they end up in and say to them, but there are other ways of doing it. And the benefit that we've got is there are examples of this. Mm -hmm. So there's a direct demonstration. So we want to demonstrate to the rest of Portugal that it can be done. And it can be done. There are some very good examples that are coming out now. For example, in the north, uh, under the, the European uh, Endangered Landscapes uh, funding, there's a new project being developed up there. Uh, if we have a look in the central area, Estrela, the park, the geopark, there's a lot of cooperation going on there. So there are some very good examples that this can work. Mm -hmm. Now we need it to work for Natura 2000. Very good. Um, have you reached to national authorities or to the European Commission about the issue? We've come through the European uh, uh, Environmental Bureau because we feel the approach, uh, 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 they need to help us in how we can develop this project into uh, an approach to the European Commission. The European Commission already has Portugal's uh, uh, in court. So how can we now help the European Commission to identify what the issues are that need to be addressed directly, rather than uh, uh, um, a, a little slap on the wrist or whatever it is that may come out of this whole process, and to ask the, 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 the European Environmental Bureau how we, within our own constraints within uh, Portugal, can bring this, highlight the issues with the government as well. Mm -hmm. Because government will treat this as, as a conflict situation. Okay, European Union took us to court. We're going to then uh, justify our position. And we are saying, that's good, that's well and true. But justifying a position isn't always the benefit to, to what is happening in the country. So we want to find these, these approaches. And I feel the European uh, Environmental Bureau is one uh, um, uh, um, corridor that we can pa uh, pass through, work with. Um, they have a, have a good track record and uh, they're very representative of civil society. So that's the important thing. We are working with civil society and we need that representation at the European level. Try looking at the national, because I, I understand that there is a, a case at the European level, uh, looking at the, the way Portugal has is implementing the Birds and Habitats Directive and some of the shortcomings, and uh, there is there is a, an infringement uh, procedure that is happening. Um, usually, when it comes to European level, this is quite a, a last sort of step. Um, uh, have have you tried a national court approach at all when it comes to some of the problems with implementation or uh, it just went directly to the European level? Well, the, 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 European, the European Commission uh, did that work for us. Um, at this moment in time, there has been, in fact, we were advised to have a look at the possibility of a legal process uh, uh, within the national cons uh, constraints of, of that process. Um, uh, but none of us are legal. <laughs> I'm an ecologist and we're dealing with landscape architects. And So this is one of the reasons we've also come to the EEB, to try and understand whether 
taking Portugal to court over the, the lack of, of, of uh, implementation is a good idea. And how would we do it? What is the methodology we would use? Because it implies a lot of things. This project isn't set up to take uh, yeah. Portugal to court. This project is set up to find solutions or approaches to, to, a, uh, to a problem. So we would have to work in parallel. We'd actually have to t take off our project hat and put on another hat. Or we'd have to work in, in parallel that we have a small team that are working towards this particular aspect. Um, so this is really where we are at the moment. We, we need advice. And, uh, and this is why I'm here, to come and talk to you guys and find out whether this is actually a viable option and whether it is really needed at this moment in time. Because the stick is out. And uh, do we need to put another stick out? Mm -hmm. Is that really what's required? Or do we need to go to the government and say, okay, you've been beaten, uh, and we come here to heal your wounds. Yeah. Here's the way that we can do it. This is the cooperation that we can get. And how do we, how do we know this? Well, we already have a coalition of the willing. We've got a project area. We've already implemented certain criteria that have come through it. And uh, one of the benefits that we've got is the fires have, have elevated the Monchique municipality and specifically the mayor in Monchique, who is very well uh, spoken and has now direct contact with the national government because he's saying, guys, we have to stop this process, this, 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 these, these impacts. And so th there is, this area is pretty much uh, uh, highlighted on the, on the national calendar. And we, we can use this to our benefit. It's a, it's, a, it's a good leverage for us to move towards the, this integrated process of, of land planning because Portugal still sits very much in, in cross-sectoral, mm -hmm. regional, and then everything's divided. So you start with the blueprint and then it's divided into regions then it's divided into municipalities and there's a very little cooperation on the ground uh, in terms of planning. And so... We want to try and change that paradigm and see whether that's, that is possible. Thank you, Justine. We hope that the EEB's work will be of help in your project. And thank you very much to you both, Justine and Sergey, for spending time with us today. It was great to learn more about this case. If you would like to learn more about the Implement for Life project, check out the information below. And don't hesitate to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We are called Green Under Dash Europe there. See you later for another podcast. Bye. Thank you for listening to Meta Podcast. This podcast was created with the support of the live program of the European Union, but this communication reflects the author views and does not come in the donor.